If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today, I guess probably doesn't need a lot of introduction, he's Dan Steers from Double Dan Horsemanship. So Double Dan Horsemanship, we'll hear the story about how that was formed, but we'll talk to Dan about how he's developed his skills as a farrier and developed his horsemanship skills as well. How are you today, Dan? I am very well, thank you, yes. Yeah, good, good. Now, Dan, the first thing I'm going to ask you is your favourite quote. What have you got for us? Well, I use I use a, a few when, when it comes to teaching in clinics. Um, yep. One of them that I'll that I like using is is saying that horsemanship is simple. Um, it's just not easy, which which unfortunately a lot of us sort of struggle with. Sometimes we overthink it, and that's where I want to make it sure that people are aware that it's simple. But then you don't want to downplay it either, and and make people sort of feel like, well, if they're not getting it, um, you know, then that that's something wrong with them. So I sort of you know try to clarify that it is a simple process. If if you can understand how the horse thinks, it is very logical mm-hmm. um, if you understand it. But at the same time, where it's difficult in my mind is, is probably putting it into practice. The, the other one that I use also is, is where I say to people, you know, you do as little as possible but as much as you have to to be effective because that can often be a bit of a problem too when working with horses is, is that we sometimes don't quite put enough I guess, pressure on at times to sort of get a result. And because we're not getting the result, we're then also not taking the pressure off. So you get your horse a little bit frustrated. Um, so, you know, I tell people it's like we're always, you know, my goal is obviously to get the horses to respond as quickly as possible with as little amount of pressure applied as possible. But at the same time, I, I need to remain effective. So that probably the two I guess standout quotes that that you know anyone would hear me use you know fairly regularly, mm-hmm. um, as well as obviously we've got some others there that um, we use as well. Yep, yep. Dan, I know that you didn't start you know as a toddler with horses because a lot of the times you think if someone's got great horsemanship skills, you know it must have been hereditary their parents or grandparents and they were born in the saddle. But you actually started a bit later than that. Do you remember the first time? that you were introduced to a horse or what your first experience was? Yeah, so it was a little bit different, um, say, for myself than it was for the other dad. He was, he was certainly almost born on a horse. Um, I remember his mum sort of telling me, you know, first day out of hospital, they chucked, um, you know, little Dan James up on the horse just to get him <laughs> sort of imprinted. Yeah. Um, but for myself, I tell, I tell the story, you know, uh, when we get asked often in an interview that the first thing I learned to ride was really the uh, bus to school. So... <laughs> um, I, I didn't have any horses. I was brought up in, in Perth um, in the city. Um, yep. So we used to skateboard and, and I used to, you know, ride bikes, obviously, and, and that was uh, and even surf um, and play a lot of team sport. Um, and I was a little bit of a, I guess, uh, delinquent at the time with, with my mum being a single parent. Um, she, she sort of 
uh, which is probably fortunate for me, has forgot a lot of it. But um, I, I still probably remember giving her a fair bit of trouble. And, and uh, my dad took a different role in the police force, and, and he was on a, at a police and citizens youth camp um, where he was managing that. And uh, it was only a few hours south of Perth, so I thought it might be a, a good idea to send me down there to straighten me out. And a part of the camp, it was an adventure camp, and they had horse riding there, and they were just sort of, you know, your, your trail riding type of horses. Most of them, from memory, were all just standard beds that, that would sort of form a line and, and go out for these walk trails. But they'd take kids out, and I started spending a fair bit of time uh, at my dad's, and, and I really enjoyed it. I, I hadn't had a lot to do with him. I think I was 14 at the time. Um, previously to that, and uh, and I just sort of fell in love with the country. I never saw the, I saw horses there all the time, but I never was drawn to them as far as like oh, let's go and have a look at these things. It was more uh, just by chance. So the um, one day I was at, I was there, and and my dad asked me, you know, whether I wanted to go out on a trail ride with, the, with some other kids, and, and I just sort of thought, oh yeah, that sounds interesting, and, and I hopped on and and just really fell in love with it. I just could not believe that you know you could control such a large animal i just remember still remember as clear as day how fascinated i was that we could steer these uh, creatures and from there i just rode as much as i could by the time that i was that was 14 and the time i was 15 i'd left school and i was working full-time in the horse industry and i've been full-time ever since so i definitely got bitten by the bug um and, and it's been a huge huge passion of, of mine since I think too, um, I know that we use a lot of equine-assisted therapy and for troubled kids, you know, troubled teens, but it sounds like, um, you know, you might have fitted into that category and um, you've really taken off with it. So it's a good news story. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it definitely give me some, I guess, some focus and, um, and something, yeah, definitely to do. But I, yeah, I, I got a hold of it with two hands and, and I didn't, I gave up pretty much everything else um, to, to really just, just do horses full time. Yeah. Now, as a farrier, how long was your apprenticeship? So I, I did like a three-year apprenticeship to start with, yep. um, but then even then I, I sort of went back after working. When I finished my apprenticeship, I left and, and I didn't really go out working on my own. I actually went and took up a job at a um, cutting trainer uh, facility over actually on the East Coast because at that point I was in Western Australia. And I was working there, and, and then when I came back from that, I did start sort of doing a little bit to farrowing, but I, I, I got um, involved with another master farrier um, by the name of um, Brett Tyler, and, and then I probably worked for, with him for another year or two um, part-time, just really honing my skills with Brent and, uh, and yeah, trying to sort of work on, on both not only my horsemanship um, part-time, but also then you know, my farrier skills as well. So we got involved in competition and and working on um, blacksmithing a fair bit at that time as well. So, you know, it, was, it ended up being pretty full on because we'd, we'd come home from shoeing horses and then you would, um, you know, maybe have a have a drink and, and have a feed and then you would be, you know, over and, and working on the forge for all hours of the night. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trying to sort of perfect, um, you know, your blacksmithing skills and then you'd, you'd, you'd go to bed absolutely buggered <laughs> and then wake up in the morning and go and start shoeing horses again. And I was always sort of training horses at the at the same time, so um, yeah, it was pretty pretty flat out for a little while there. Yep, yep. Now thinking about a farrier, you know, like you would have started, you only would have had what twelve months experience with horses and just trail riding horses before then. Mm-hmm. 
and I know that, you know, because I've talked to um, just working in racing stables and having a few farriers around and, and kids had come in there and they'd have no experience with horses. How essential is it or how much do you develop your horse handling skills now as a farrier? How essential is it that people have experience with horses before they start as a farrier? Yeah, it really depends. I, I What it was is I, I had no ambition at the time becoming a farrier what it was was I was leaving school right wrong at 15 and, and I wanted to train horses that's what I wanted to do yep and my dad was saying you need to get a, a trade you know it's all well and good becoming a horse trainer but you need something to fall back on so I sort of found the loophole there going farriers mm. farriers a trade so which which he didn't argue with me and the farrier at, at the time that we had he was uh, not only a, you know a really good master farrier but he was also a really good natural horsemanship instructor and trainer. Okay. And yep. so I sort of had the best of both worlds. So even though that I was developing my farrier skills at, at the same time, we were also working with horses every day and doing handling with, you know, everything from unhandled horses to, you know, going horses to problem horses. And and he was one of those sort of no-nonsense farriers either. So if a horse was playing up, um, you know, he would sort of just take control and, and educate the horse, so then it would be better for the for the next time. Um, yep. Which was, you know, a lot of obviously uh, clients appreciated as well because they're getting a bit of free training on their horse. Um, and, and so I've got to see that, you know, not only like I said, doing the farrier apprenticeship, but but also as as a horseman as well. So we've been able to develop our skills in both, and it certainly uh, helps if you do have a background with horses and understanding them. But like you've already mentioned, and, and even with myself, it's not essential. Um, when learning the trade, I think if you're comfortable uh, around the horses and you know not afraid of them, and you work with somebody like I did, who's you know obviously really good with his groundwork skills, then it was probably beneficial going in with the with a clean slate because I had no preconceived ideas. Yeah. Um, and my really early imprinting of, of of horses was some really good horsemen and horsemanship. I I didn't see any bad horsemanship for. Oh, a fair few years after I started riding, to be honest. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, good imprint. And good that you just happened to end up with a farrier who did the work that not just the customers appreciated, obviously the horses appreciated because they knew where they stood and they, they could learn from that, but it makes his job easier then. You know, if he goes in with a badly behaved horse and educates it a little bit, then it's going to be better and an easier horse to shoe next time. That was definitely the theory behind it, and that's. Uh, and then he had a, you know, a, a relatively good line of, of horses. To, you know, you don't need, uh, yeah, because you can only do so many in a sort of four to six week process. But time we sort of tuned up most of the horses. You're only doing that maybe once a week, um, you know, for a new client or a young horse or something like that. So most days it was pretty smooth sailing. Okay. Yep. Yep. Now. Think about to get a job as a farrier, you know, to start off an apprenticeship as a farrier. If you were looking for an apprentice or if someone wanted you to recommend an apprentice, what sort of core skills, character traits do they need to have? Well, I think first and foremost is, is just the ability to work hard. It is, it's not only, uh, you know, an extremely physical job, um, but then it's, you know, it's obviously like a lot of trades, it's, it's long hours. Um, and, and hard, you know, sort of hard days, and especially in the, you know, weather elements. You know, we were shoeing horses like in WA, you get a pretty hot, hot summer. Feet get pretty dry. They don't get much rain or, or really no rain over, over summer. So, you know, your feet are really hard and, and then, you know, you're shoeing in a bit of heat and the rest of it are trimming. So we tend to find, um, and I don't know if this is me just getting older and a little bit 
you know, a little bit bloody probably cranky in her older age, but she's sort of finding that the kids these days don't really have that, mm-hmm. um, don't have that hard sort of, you know, work ethic. Is it like stamina? Yeah, just a horsemanship deal. Like, I think, you know, I'm sort of really grateful that I didn't have, we didn't really have phones and, and certainly didn't have much to do with the internet um, when we were going through that time. And so I've left you the ability to solely focus on what you're doing. Where, where nowadays it tends to be that, you know, from what I've had with the with kids that have come and even not necessarily about farrier apprenticeships, but certainly coming in and working with us um, with the horsemanship side of things, getting that focus and not having that distraction of, of a phone and, and what their friends are doing and what, you know, that fear of missing out, they call it. Yep. Yeah, it really hinders them. And, and that's probably the hardest thing for them to get when they start sort of shoeing horses and stuff like that is to, to be able to not only obviously do the work, the physical work, but uh, then be able to apply themselves as well and not, not have that distraction. Mm, mm. What do you think is the best thing about being a farrier? What I think is the best thing? Mm. Well, it's, when it comes to like shoeing horses, like I, particularly myself, like I find it, it's, it's a bit of an art skill. You know, I take a lot of, I still, you know, shoe sometimes my own horse. I'm getting worse and worse at, at doing it. I've, I've um, got a couple of different carriers that, that probably keep the, the team going. But uh, when I can, I, I like shooting my own horses and, and really doing a nice nice job. It's something you can be proud of. You know, sometimes when, um, well, I don't know if it's like this for yourself, but certainly a lot, of, a lot of people I know, it's like, you know, when you've freshly cut uh, lawn, you know, it has, you look back and it's just such a, it's, it's such a satisfying feeling to see what you've accomplished and then it looks good. Uh, the shoeing can be the same because, you know, it's not like building a house or something like that where it's, it's such a long process. It happens quite quickly, like mowing the lawn. And when the feet are long and, you know, they, they're, they're out of shape and uh, maybe even cracks and things like that, then you go back and, and you know, within half an hour, an hour, um, you've got a really neat-looking foot with with a new shoe on it. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, we get a bit fancy and, and, you know, bevel edges and things like that. So it's really shiny, you know, put a bit of hoof oil on there. And uh, and it's something you can be really proud of what you've accomplished and how, how well it looks. And like I said, it's a bit of an art form to get everything right, angles right, you know, the fit right. Um, you know, you can be really proud of your job. And that's something that uh, I certainly um, enjoyed about it, as well as even just the fitness side of things, because um, you, need, you need to be pretty fit and, and strong. And it's natural. And for me and myself, like, um, you know, I'm not not wasn't big um, at going to the gym or doing anything like that. Um, but working with horses sort of just keeps you fit, yeah, and that's a bit that I probably miss about shoeing. Is now when I go to do a, do a shoe, and I used to do you know a dozen a day, dozen shoes plus a bunch of of trims, and uh, and then nowadays I'm buggered if I do one one horse. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Now, talking, you know, because you, you've sort of got this double career as a farrier, which is what you started, but as a horse person too, you know, like even then you said when you started your apprenticeship, you wanted to train horses. What attracted you to the whole idea? It was romantic, I suppose, at the time. That's probably what your father thought, that as a 15-year-old who had very little experience, you know, comparatively at the time, you wanted to train horses. Why were you attracted to the idea of training horses? Um, you know, and, and probably like you said, a little bit of a, a romantic feeling. It's it's that partnership that you create with the horse. I've always mm-hmm. been fascinated with it. Um, and that's what, you know, you, you really yearn for when when you're working is, 
is to have that partnership in the communication so things happen smoothly and easily and, and, and more importantly, willingly. Um, so, you know, as far as obviously, you know, making a career of it, it's, it's like you couldn't, you couldn't stop. And this is both for me and, and for the other band. You couldn't stop us from doing it. Um, and I even use that nowadays as a way to, to actually talk to the kids um, and, and the next generation is, you know, basically if you can be talked out of becoming uh, a horse trainer, then, then you shouldn't do it. So yep. the only reason then I do it is you can't talk us out of it because everybody tries, um, you know, and I try. Like I get people here and, and, and tell them, you know, to, to take up different trades mm. or to take, to take to follow other careers because, you know, there's far easier ways to make money and, and work a hell of a lot less. Um, so, yeah, it's it's for myself. It's It was almost selfish. Like I said, it's a feeling that I would get from, you know, working with horses that, that made me think, well, I'm going to do this full time. And, and that's the passion with it. Um, because, yeah, it's like I said before, it's a hard career to, to get in and it's a hard career to maintain uh, because it's really a bit of a luxury item for so many people and, and horses are expensive. And, and, you know, like I look at other trades and I, I took a, uh, you know, a lawnmower down to get serviced and I, I get hit up for $150 an hour for an apprentice to service it. And you think about that when it comes to, you know, horse training, there's not too many horse trainers even at an elite level at, that are on $150 an hour. Mm, um, you know, mm. even if you think, oh, well, I know such and such gets that a lesson, but you're not adding up all the other time he's not getting paid um, that amount, you know. In between uh, the lessons, as, as that's right. Trainer. So yeah, yeah. Exactly, and you divide it all up, mm. it, it doesn't look doesn't look so good. So, yeah, if, if you can be talked out of it, certainly look at other options where you can maybe enjoy your horses. I'm not saying that those people should get out of horses, but just enjoy your horses on a, on a part-time level yep. um, rather than a full-time level. And, and then you've got to also work on ways of maintaining your enjoyment, and that's, uh, that's something else. You know, you talk about earlier on about quotes, um, and, I, and I ask people in clinics, and I say one of Dan, Dan's favourite uh, quotes is he, he says, um, you know, we might not be the best, but we're the funnest. And, and I try to remind people about enjoying yourself because there's far cheaper ways to be miserable. That's what I try to tell them because <laughs> horses are so expensive. Yes, you put so, yes. so much time into it. Yeah. Um, if you're not having fun, you've got to change, you've got to change something because it's, it's just, it's not working. And, yep. and whatever it might be, I'm not, you know, everyone's obviously different, but you've got to get back to what brought you into horses in the first place and as an enjoyment. So going back to working with them, Full time, you got to be careful that it doesn't turn into a job. Um, even myself, like I can work a lot of horses in in one day, and and I've got to make sure that I can maintain, you know, my enthusiasm from the first horse to the last horse because he doesn't understand that he's the last horse on the run, or you know, you get frustrated because you're you're hangry or you're tired or whatever it is. Um, you've got to be you've got to be neutral. Um, every time you step on a horse and, and, and stay the same. Otherwise, um, you know, that, they're not too sure how to read that. And that's where I think it can get lost. You know, when you do take it up as a career, you go, well, all of a sudden you've got to make ends meet, pay all these bills and, you know, get staff and, and all the other problems you have with running a business. But then you need to, to make sure that, like, like I said, just from the horse's perspective, that you still are enjoying it and uh, and you're doing the right thing by the horse. Mm-hmm. So for someone who you can't talk out of it, you know, they keep, this is it, this is what they want to do, they're very, you haven't talked them out of it, what else do they need to have besides not being able to be talked out of it? <laughs> um, 
that's that's probably pretty it. You know, like we don't look at talent or anything like that because we get told that, oh, you know, you're talented, you're talented, and, and if, if both Dan and myself do not believe it, and, and uh, that we're, we're talented or natural at it. Um, you know, we certainly just think it's through persistence and, and hard mm-hmm. work. So yep. that's where that whole passion part comes from. Um, you know, of course, there's all these other elements to it, like, you know, you know, to be a writer, you've got to be balanced and you've got to be this and you've got to be that. But I still just think that, that passion will trumpet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you see people that are successful with all different body sizes and types. You know, it's not it's not something that's uniform that says, you know, like to be a swimmer, for example, um, you know, you, if you think, oh, I'm going to be in a, an Olympian swimmer or, you know, a professional swimmer, um, if you're not the right body type, it doesn't matter really probably how much passion you have. Um, it's unfortunately you're not going to make it. Where in, in our industry, you know, I certainly feel like it's it all, all sizes, shapes, and, you know, it's not, again, uh, gender, you know, specific. It doesn't matter if you're female or you're male. Um, I think it's really, really even. It really just comes down to who works the hardest and has the most passion. There's a lot of different sizes and shapes of horses as well, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. For the different sizes and shapes of people. Yep, different disciplines and, and, and alike. But when you look at it, what I tell kids when I'm working, you know, if we're doing a, you know doing something, um, you know, for a classroom with kids, uh, you know, I just sort of say one thing that you will see that is consistent amongst, you know, all elite horse people, uh, or even successful horse people uh, is the consistent denominator is how hard they work. Mm-hmm. So if that doesn't bother you, then then you will make it. But everybody I know who's who's you know got a nice getting a nice making a nice living from them, you know, uh, horses, they work extremely hard. Even Olympians, uh, you know, you look at any of those ones that they can't just go. Oh, well, I've, I've gone to the Olympics now, and I've maybe even become a medalist. I can sit back and, and just let the money roll in. Um, they're, they're working as hard to maintain it as they did to achieve it. Yep, yep, yep. All right. What's the best thing about working with horses, training horses? Now that you've made it, and it's not a romantic idea that you're trying to talk your father into, now that you've made it as a horse person, what's the best thing? Uh, your lifestyle's certainly got to be it. You know, even to myself today, like I, I'm only home for a few days a week, you know, sometimes or a few days a month probably, um, to be completely honest. And, and I've only just got home, you know, late uh, last Friday night and I'm sitting here doing this interview now and it's a, and it's a Monday evening. Um, so as soon as I get home, you know, I'm being able to, you know, work my own horses and, and um, you know, develop them and, and I look at it, um, you know, when I'm riding around in, in, in my own arena and with my own facilities, I've got a lot more than I probably thought that I ever would have one achieved and, and, and probably and, and even own um, as far as horses and infrastructure and, and alike. So you know I owe that all to, to the horses. Um, but the big the big part of that is is you know my lifestyle allows me also you know with working with horses, it's a lifestyle and allows me to to be able to do it you know from a day to day basis. I don't have to wait for holidays or you know after work even if I'm not necessarily at home. Like that's one aspect of enjoying it at home. But even when I travel and I'm away, I look at how fortunate we are to be able to meet new people, um, you know, learn from other people's horses and go and still develop my skills while, um, you know, while also, you know, earning earning a, uh, an income as well. Yep, yep. What about people that have influenced you? You've talked about the farrier, Pete Weber. Yep. You talked about Corey Holden. Mm-hmm. Okay, who else? 
and the other Dan, of course, Dan James. Yeah. Yeah, was um, Pete Weber was my, certainly my first uh, influence in in horses, both as a farrier and and uh, and you know I should say master uh, farrier and master horseman, and and so I got a really good grounding from him and a really good understanding. And from there, yeah, I, I did. Uh, once I finished my apprenticeship, I, I went over and worked for Corey Holt, and, and that got my passion. I already had, a, 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 I guess, a, uh, an idea that I would be passionate about working with cow horses, but that certainly cemented that home. So even now, um, when I'm home, that's probably really what I focus on the most is, is cow horses and, and getting you know better at being able to sort of train those and, and, and also breed them as well, and, and, uh, and we also sell them at, at the same time. But from there, it's sort of got. I've got a really long list, and the other Dan's the same. Like it doesn't just come down to one. You know, there's another Western Australia that's that's really handy, um, and but no one would have probably, uh, particularly on the East Coast, um, would have probably heard of him. But uh, Steve Moyer, um, you know, he helped me uh, a lot with with getting probably a starting program for horses. Um, you know, up until then, I, I'd break in horses, but I didn't have a program. You know, you just go sort of fly by the seat of your pants. Um, and he was the first one to actually introduce me to a bit of a system, and uh, and then I um, also my um, I, my wife, so her um, her father or my father-in-law um, has a pretty big uh, thoroughbred stud back in Western Australia, and and, uh, and I did some work for him um, and and helping him with his with his yearlings and his weanlings, and and got to develop um, a lot of skills in, in groundwork, which I was you know really fortunate about. He also come through like a Pirelli and Ray Hunt background, so he, you know he was thinking along the same lines and, and just and really helped me get the numbers, uh, you know, with handling foals, you know, weanlings, yearlings, and, and then he also had a stock horse uh, start as well. So able to break in and train, and, and, and he got me started in camp drafting. Um, so that's what you know we do as a bit of a, a bit of a passion now. When once uh, Dan and I met, which was in Western Australia. Of course, we started to bounce ideas off each other and, and bring it in and, and learn from one another. But it was when we, we started doing our entertainment and our liberty that we um, found Heath Harris. So Heath Harris has, has you know has done the same as what Steve did as far as give us a structure and, and, and a program for working with liberty horses, which we've been able to develop into our own skill set and then teach uh, around the world, essentially, which is, which is um, you know, really a foundation that, that we got from uh, from Heath and, and his horses because up until then it was a bit like I was saying before with the breaking in Dan and I were just flying by the seat of our pants and, and we could change our mind you know halfway through a training session because we see the horse doing something different and we'd go oh we'll do this now we'll do that now and and uh, that doesn't really set you up for much consistency and it's probably you know everything that well for us we probably learned a lot then from from what we did wrong rather than what we did right. And so the stuff that we teach now um, is probably lessons learned from back then in knowing that, no, no, you don't do that because we've done that and and, we, and it doesn't work because of these reasons. And and, uh, and he certainly uh, got both him and I on, on the same track. And, and then from there, we've been really, really fortunate. What's probably the best part of being, um, you know, well-known, um, I guess, entertainment duo and, and horsemanship duo is that we then get access to to world class, you know, clinicians, trainers, uh, and even other entertainers because we go to these expos, 
um, and we travel the world and we get to meet them and and they you know often just through conversation then end up you know inviting you to maybe their facilities and and you get these not only um, lifelong friendships and but these are also you know opportunities to share your own skill sets with them and then they share theirs with you and 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 so we've got a lot the list has got even longer with um, you know mentors and people that we look up to because they're like minded. And yep. they enjoy what we do, and we enjoy what they do, and we're happy to share. And, and that's something that, um, yeah, I think, you know, and, and I reckon if you ask Dan, he would answer it exactly the same. Um, in, in our mind, it's it's probably been the biggest biggest benefit of being the double dance. Yep, yep, yep. Tell us about horses. If you've got a particular horse or if you would like to mention a couple of horses that you think have really helped you in your career, as in, They've taught you things. You've gone to train them, but then they've taught you how to train horses better. Yeah, well, there's, there's the ones that probably stand out the most are the ones that make me look better than I am. Uh, <laughs> that's the ones that you probably find every uh, trainer that's that's you know had some some successful horse will probably admit to you that um, there's something special about them that 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 probably make you look a little better than you are, um, and and. Even my first horse that I actually owned myself, which is a mare called the name of Susie Q, which I had purchased from Pete Weber, that master farrier and horseman, uh, as a yearling, and he helped me break her in and, and helped me train her. Well, she looked after me like, um, you know, like like well, no one could have. You know, she was she was an angel as far as her behaviour. And I used to do some crazy things because I'd looked up to all these great horsemen. And, and the second ride she ever had in her life, I was riding around in the bush and I just decided to take the bridle off because, <laughs> you know, I wanted to ride without a bridle. Yeah. And I just rode a two-year-old, no bridle, uh, through the bush all the way home and and was safe. And, and that was mm-hmm. what she was doing. She was just looking after me all the time and, uh, and made me probably think at the time that I was a way better <laughs> horseman than what I actually was because I started to do that with other horses and started figuring out very, very quickly <laughs> um, that I may not have been God's gift uh, to horses and, uh, and and I had to get some skill set. Now, that mare um, has then become the mother of, of pretty much my entire Liberty team now. So I, uh, I've you know been breeding her for, for a long period of time probably, um, you know, 10 or so years of foals I've had out of her. And uh, and I've got five or six of her horses right now in my Liberty team um, that I can go out and, and use, or well, we do go out and use in our in our, um, in our our shows. So she's certainly one that I, I probably put it down to, not in teaching me as far as, yeah, um, you know, challenge me, but, but probably definitely... Uh, inspiring me, that's for sure. And um, if if she was probably a bit harder on me, maybe maybe I wouldn't have um, wouldn't have had the passion for for liberty horses and bridleless horses and natural horsemanship. So I certainly thank her. And and then you know we get we get challenged you know from from a day to day basis when when we go out and put yourself in that public eye. Often people bring you know sort of troubled and, and challenging horses to your clinics and to your workshops or you know, even um, to our training facility for, for re-education. And those horses teach us a hell of a lot because, uh, you know, they've just they've been, been outsmarting humans and that's the, the problem. We a lot of times want to give them, you know, sort of a, a negative um, analogy to the horse and say that he's, he's a rogue or he's this or he's that. Um, 
but I often put it down to he's just smarter than us, and, and yeah. that means we've got to get smarter to be able to work with him. So those horses teach me a lot, uh, both when we get it right and both when we get it wrong. And, and I love um, traveling and, and, and having that time, that downtime when, you know, you've, you're just alone with your own thoughts and I'll process, you know, what not only we've done right, but things that maybe we, we've done wrong and, and make sure that we learn from those mistakes. Um, I think that's really, really important as a horseman is you don't probably realise when you first get introduced to horses but how much of a mental game it is, not just a physical game. So about getting them to do things that we want physically, it's also a lot about how it's uh, achieved mentally. And so in order to do that, we have to be you know, really conscious and thinking all the time. Um, and that's what those horses have probably taught me. And, uh, and like I said, the list would be really too long <laughs> because yeah, it, you, you find it on a daily basis. That's really what it is. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about, you know, all the, all the things you've done and the places you've gone, the people you've met, the performances you've done, what's been your proudest moment? Um, well, one of the ones, I guess, that we got, uh, you know, the most recognition for was Australia's Got Talent, and that was probably a surreal moment. I'm not necessarily say it's the, pr- the proudest moment, but it was definitely, um, you know, the pinnacle at the time. And, um, and even Dan and, and myself, we had no idea probably how much of a launching pad that ended up being for us. You know, I, from time to time, I check it out on YouTube to see, you know, where the hit count is. And at the last time I checked, you know, uh, just one video has been viewed, uh, you know, 15 million times. <laughs> so it really, it really launched us. Um, as a performing duo, that's for sure. Sort of puts you back into mainstream, doesn't it? Mainstream people, not just horse people. Uh, yeah. Not, yeah, that's right. But also those, I guess those, you know, the horse people, they find that information out too. So, you know, we've got a lot of different people around the world then probably got to know about us. And, and um, yeah, after that, you know, particularly in Australia, everybody definitely um, knew who we were. Well, up until then, it was only probably people that had seen your show somewhere mm. that then would remember, you know, know, know your name. Um, so if they'd seen one of your shows, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I know the double dance. But they didn't other than that. We're after Australia's Got Talent, uh, you know, this is like everybody seemed to know who we were around Australia and they would always, you know, bring it up in conversation. But as far as, you know, probably, um, you know, achievements, it's been uh, the World Equestrian Games. You know, we were part of the opening ceremony in 2010 and that's that's something that we both, Dan and I, um, you know, really look back on fondly knowing that we didn't even have our own horses. We, we took ourselves to the, to the States and, and, and trained two, uh, uh, two other horses from a friend of ours who loaned, loaned them to us to perform not only during um, the opening ceremony but also throughout the duration of the event. We were doing horsemanship demonstrations daily. Yep. Uh, that was certainly – and back in 2010 was something that – you know, we we yeah, really think was 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 certainly the pinnacle of of the events that we've been a part of, and now uh, we're actually getting ready to go back again. So we're in 2018, that's eight years, and we're in the second World Equestrian Games, where we'll be doing the same opening ceremony uh, demonstration. And the other Dan is actually also competing in the reigning there. So that's that's something that again I reckon we'll look back on um, fondly and, and think that was certainly a huge uh, achievement for both of us. Uh, but I was, I even just look sometimes a bit more humbled and, and, and think about it as just Equitana. I remember going to 
Equitano um, as a just as an auditor, respect Taylor, and thinking that if I could just one time, you know, get in <laughs> and do one demonstration, one yep. demonstration, yep. one time at Equitana in my lifetime, I would have made. You know, that was where I was at, and, and the other day we didn't know each other, but we were at the exact same event at the exact same time thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> um, and this is an Equitana year. I can't even tell you how many Equitanas we've been to, but, you know, I still get humbled by our beginnings and, and don't take that for granted that we've, you know, preparing for a huge show there this year, um, both as entertainers as well as educators and, and, uh, and think about, you know, back to that first time that I, I went to the event thinking just one time, just one time, um, now we've been fortunate to do it around the world, uh, you know, go through um, US, Canada, even New Zealand. Uh, Dan's been through Europe, and we've been able to do these horsemanship demonstrations. So there's there's a lot of that that you know we're really proud of. But uh, I still think you know Equitana is pretty special as well. Yeah, thinking about that and thinking that the journey that you've come, and that's starting right off from your father saying get a trade. What's been the biggest? You know, you've said that Australia's Got Talent's been a big breakthrough, but what about before you had any breakthroughs, before you got to Equitana, before, you know, what about some of the challenges along the way? What have they been? Well, challenges even been through injury. So mm-hmm. um, for all of that, um, and both both Dan and I um, had had met, but only a couple of times, um, I, I was in a, I was leading a couple of young horses and, um, I think in the process, you know, I don't remember it, but in the process was knocked over, um, and 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 had a, and had quite a major episode or a seizure that um, led me to, to becoming unconscious and and being in in a coma for a few days, and and certainly after waking up from that and, and not having a lot of function at the time, so I had very very short term uh, memory, and and so I'd, I'd tell you the same conversation multiple times, you know, even. Just while we were talking in a, in a five-minute, um, you know, conversation, I, I would tell you the same story uh, over and over again, and and you know, I didn't have a whole lot of balance, and and I was and I was having to tell myself how to walk and things like that, and it shook me up. I, I can't remember now how old I was, but I would have only maybe been twenty, twenty-one mm-hmm. um, at, at the time, and that was certainly something that that probably challenged me for a little while to get back and, and get back to where, you know, back to what we were doing, which was, which was obviously, um, I was shoeing horses then and, and, um, and also riding them and, and, you know, easily, I never, ever think, you know, and I've had some accidents since then. Um, and, uh, you know, I never think it's about quitting or anything like that. So it hasn't been you know, a struggle or, or changed the way I've felt about it. And I've never obviously blamed the horse, you know, the horses either for it, but yeah. it's certainly, you know, been struggling. But what about breaking into the performances? You know, breaking into the, you know, like when you said, I'd love to be at Equitana. You know, how I many, is it getting the contacts? Is it, because obviously you've got to be doing a good job. Oh, but, yeah. But breaking in to be able to be doing those performances, to travel I, I, and do performances. Yeah, sure. What do you think has been the challenges along there? That, that side of things probably come a lot easier than I expected as far mm. as, you know, it wasn't, um, there wasn't a whole lot of people doing it, and it certainly wasn't new people. Uh, I even look to, out there now and think um, both Dan and myself have probably influenced another generation to go out and perform. So we got a lot of people, 
uh, probably underneath ourselves that we've even helped yep. that now do equine entertainment and and uh, and there is it is you know with YouTube and things like that it's probably easier um, you know to get yourself out in the spotlight and to you know probably um, you know create an image that you know shows like Equitana want to you know invite you to their event. I don't really remember any of that as being a struggle, but what I do remember as being a struggle is probably, you know, for Dan and myself is is to do it and, and do it financially. I think if we try to launch ourselves now, um, we, we both have a young family and we have property and everything else, That you, and, you, you know, let's say we had a real job, that's what my brother calls it anyway, a real job, <laughs> um, that we probably wouldn't do it because it, it took every, you know, not every minute of our time but every dollar that we were earning you know you'd earn you'd you'd maybe get a show performance fee and then you know you'd be at home creating a new show and we're trying to do some marketing or fuel for the truck to get to the next show and it would suck every every dollar um out of us and 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 i think we did it at the right time um because like i said we we didn't have too many dependents on us and, and and the like and and we still had other skill sets, so we're you know shoeing horses or or breaking horses in or doing whatever we needed to do to help fund us into travelling and, and getting our name. But that's the persistence and the passion, though, isn't it? That, that's exactly how it is, and, and we had no, you know, there was there was no option to fail. Yeah, that's how we looked at it mm-hmm. at the time. You know, it was just like this is what we're going to do, and if that doesn't work, that's you know we tried something and that doesn't work, that's fine. It's, we just try something else, but I'm I'm probably yeah like as far as I'm a bit more of a I'm pessimistic at times <laughs> Dan and and Dan and Dan's probably got the other way, and so um, yeah when I'd often think why would people want to pay us to do a show you know I would always think that it wasn't going to last and and, um, and and think you know we're, we're lucky to get this show and we're lucky to get that show. Um, but it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna last, and and you know I always had my farrying to to fall back on, and and then my wife saw sort of vet, so I'm like, well, we'll be all right. Um, where the other dam would be like, we're gonna go to World Equestrian Games, we're gonna go and do this, we're gonna yep. go and do that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and funnily enough, it, you know, it's, more times than not, that's that's what's happened. So if someone wanted to break into that now, you know, they've seen you, they've seen the double dance going around, but they say. This is what I want to do. And their skills are okay. You know, they've got some good skills. How can they break into it? How can they, what would you tell them? To get a start, you know, you, you need an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why I said, you know, social media, is, you, get a, okay. you get an audience there. So, you know, sharing videos and uh, and stuff that, you know, you, you've achieved with your horses, you know, whether it's education or entertainment. Um, but then also getting to shows. So, you know, we would, um, you know, prostitute ourselves pretty much to get a show where nowadays, you know, the show has to meet our criteria for us to do the show, where back then we would certainly meet their criteria just, just to get out in front of an audience. So whether it meant, um, you know, at times I remember performing in rodeos um, with, that we knew that would have big crowds for very, very little money, um, almost just drinking money, um, for Dan and I to go and do it. Uh, just to get in front of that number of people, and uh, and that's you know something that you know we did for a long time in the early stages um, when it was shows. We'd look at those bigger shows that we wanted to be a part of, and 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 we would approach them. Yep. Um, where now we sit back and probably uh, have those shows approach us, 
but we would approach them and find out, you know, get a contact, find out who was doing the entertainment and start talking to them from there. And, and that's how we would we would push uh, ourselves into the industry uh, was really by making those contacts ourselves because no one's going to hand it to you. You know, it's not like you come and work for me and I'm going to go and, go and give you all these contacts to the show yeah, um, yeah. Or, or anybody else might give them to you. You've got to go out. And, and put yourself out there and, and find it. And that, and one leads on to another, you know, because they see you perform there, there'll be somebody that thinks, oh, I wouldn't mind having them at my show, or, and that leads you to somewhere else. And, and then that one, someone is at that show, and they will get you to another. That's how Dan and I ended up from the West Coast to the East Coast because, um, you know, we were performing at the Perth Royal Show, and the Sydney Royal Show representatives were there looking for scouting for, for new acts and talent and you know different yeah, things yeah, um and they approached us they approached us there and um, brought us over to sydney and so once uh dan said well we've got to go and when we go um we'll, we'll move over there and uh, and i and i thought like i said me being a bit pessimistic said that <laughs> you know well that's okay we're, we're not going to get enough shows over on the east coast so i, I always had a backup plan to just get back to western australia <laughs> And uh, and and we've never actually looked back since then. So yep, it's been great. Yep. Now thinking about you doing a clinic. Now you go out. You're doing a clinic. You've got a whole lot of new people with their horses, and they're all there to learn some horsemanship skills. What's a common fault that you see with the partnership between them and their horses? The one that I'm probably um, you know targeting at the moment. Yep. Um, would be that we still want to relate the horse to a human. As much as we know um, that they're not, you know, mm. they're a horse and people yep. might say, no, Dan, that's, you're miles away, they they don't. They still want to, you know, analyse them back to being a human. So when they react differently and do things, we misread it, what it means and how it was created and also how to fix it. So I'm, I'm in, you know, also figured out that in a, in a two-day horsemanship clinic, there's not a lot of time. So there's not a lot of time for me to be able to teach you our program because you're just not going to, you know, not, it's just not going to sink in. So I'm working now more and more on that mental aspect, not only for the horses but for the humans, to get their, their mind working because if I can get that a little bit better, the rest sort of takes care of itself. Um, a, a friend of mine, Warren Backhouse, starts his clinics by saying, Everything that your horse knows right, you've taught it. And then he takes a breath. Everything that your horse knows <laughs> wrong, you've taught it. And the reason why he has to bring that up is you, no one's ever aware when things go wrong. You know, I get people messaging me, emailing us and phoning us and, and wanting to send horses to us with problems. And when you ask them where the problem came from, you know, 90% of the time, they've got no idea. and They look to blame somebody else. It was the previous owner. They might, might have owned the horse for the last two years, but the horse did it with them, or even worse, the horse breaker or somebody else has, has created this problem, um, and, and they don't, they're not aware of where it started and how they have taught it. Uh, but if, in the, same, in the same scenario, they had taught their horse something positively, like let's say a, a flying lead change, for example, which takes a fair bit of work, you know. And if that person had had a horse that didn't have a, a, a lead change on them and they taught them an educated lead change and I asked them, how did you teach that? They'd be able to sit you down and explain it from the very beginning because you have to. To, under, to be able to achieve that 
you know, complex manoeuvre, yep. um, you need to understand how to teach it. So you would say, well, and man, it's, it's the preparation to too, isn't it? That. Exactly. So it's the preparation, exactly, yep. to get that end result. That same process is when your horse has learned an evasion, he's mm-hmm. learned that the exact same way. So the process, there was a process and it had a starting point and it's got a finish point and you're ringing me when you've got the finished product. That's what it is. And you're just not aware where it started, how it started and, and, and what you've created. So I, I'm sort of trying to get people and even the, the one that gets me, I still crack myself up, is, you know, when I'm at a clinic or a demonstration and a horse kicks out and everyone goes, oh, yeah. like, dun, 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 a horse yeah. is kicked out. It's a horse. Yeah. What do you think kicking out? He did, he's not kicking at me. He's not, tr- he's not trying to kill me by kicking at me because he wants to fight me. You know, they, people look at it and it would be like if I hit somebody. It's a very deliberate act. If I went and punched somebody in the street or somebody, I'm having confrontation with somebody and I punched or lashed out at them, it's a very deliberate act, isn't it? And it's, and it's confronting mm. that person exactly. There's no hiding what, what my feelings are. A horse kicks out and humans seem, like I said, on, on, on the outside looking in, seems to think that's the way that horse is thinking. And it's like this is, that's a, it's a natural reaction. It could have been for, for a number of reasons um, that the horse did it. And it's, it's just the horse trying something. So, you know, that, that's just one example of many that I think we misread when it comes to our horses because we're still trying to see, you know, that he's he thinking like along the same lines as ourselves. Um, so, yeah, when I when I try to get to the people and, and when I say that, you know, the number one problem that I find is probably not relating, you know, not trying to relate horses to, to humans, that we need to actually understand how they think and it's much simpler than we probably, uh, than we probably have in our head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. What about books? Have you got a book that you've read that's influenced you? Um, funnily enough, I'm not a huge reader, but I do like reading like autobiographies. Okay. And I've read a few horse ones and also sports ones because sports ones are good as well. Um, because there'll be a lot of things, you know, it's a mental thing and 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 uh, and the way that. Yeah, I guess the structure and how you prepare for sport. Any in particular you'd like to mention? The one that um, I probably use a lot is, is Takeover Target. So that's a racehorse. And the great the story on Takeover Target uh, is that he was sort of a failed racehorse that got, got a second go and ends up winning $8.1 million. So he was a horse that, you know, he was bought for reasonable money as a yearling Nothing, you know, extravagant but solid, 50, 60, maybe even 80,000. Uh, bought, tried as a racehorse and then failed. So the trainers and the owners have decided this horse is not going to make it and we're going to sell it as a lot of racehorses do, unfortunately, uh, just to dog, dog meat. And this other trainer who is, you know, just passionate about horses and he's driving taxis by, you know, by night to fund his um, you know, addiction to horses, yep. essentially. Yep. Trains horses during the day. He's living in the caravan. He doesn't even have a house. living in the caravan <laughs> at the track. All his money and his time is going purely into horses. Buys this horse for 
form $500 because he sees something in him. So then this horse has then now changed, obviously, his not only, in, uh, not only the horse's life uh, pathway, but obviously his trainers as well because in the book you'll see a photo of the trainer at the Royal Ascot with a photo with the Queen because he's run her run, <laughs> he's won uh, one of the Queen's races yep. and he's there in a top hat and tails with takeover target and the Queen. Wow. And so I'm I'm looking at that and what I what I get from that story is and I call it in my four pillars of horsemanship, empathy. And empathy is seeing it from the horse's perspective. So he's not changed the horse. There's nothing it's not like the horse had an injury or or, or something like that. He's just he's just seen something in that horse and changed and changed it to to turn this horse from you know never winning a race to winning eight point one million dollars. So I, I was fascinated by that story, and I and I keep it in the in the, you know probably in, in front of mind um, when I'm working with horses because you can't you just can't write them off. Yeah, you, you can't just go oh this horse isn't going to make it because of this reason or that reason. Um, we've got to change something sometimes, and that that could unleash a champion. Yes, yeah. yeah. And how many other horses potentially could have been takeover target? Yeah, um, exactly. But didn't get that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I think there's there's a lot of stories there. Even horses that may have gone off, gone to the doggers, and for some reason someone's rescued oh, them, and, and they're not going to win, you know, $8.1 million or whatever it was, but they're going to give someone some good riding and some good lessons and some good life skills. There's plenty of those horses, and that's what I tell people in clinics and in conversations about it. That's one example of millions that would mm. be out there. Mm. And and like you've just mentioned, in, in smaller ways, in bigger ways, and and, uh, and I think it's I think it's fantastic, and I I think as a as a horseman, it is super relevant. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, what are you looking forward to now, Dan? Well, um, like I mentioned earlier, World Equestrian Games is, yep. is uh, literally I leave in in a week's time. Okay, um, I'll be in the air this time this time um, next week, and and that's something exciting. Catching up with the other Dan, performing with the other Dan, as well as all the other clinicians and, uh, you know, riders that will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's certainly something we're looking forward to. And then Equitanas this year um, and another event that I go to in New Zealand, Equidays, so they're both in October and November. So that's things that, I, you know, certainly are thinking about um, in any spare moments that I have uh, because we've got to prepare so much for that. Um, and, and it's really cool to be able to uh, highlight our, um, you know, horsemanship you know, in that sort of forum, both yep. World Equestrian Games and, and those equine expos, that um, that's certainly things that we look forward to. Brilliant, brilliant. Dan, just in a couple of sentences, if you can, just summarise up your philosophy with horses, with horsemanships, with training horses. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I guess, I mean, the philosophy, in, 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 we've almost talked about all parts of it. Yep. But that's why I said in a couple of sentences. Yeah, no, it's hard. <laughs> um, it is definitely seeing it from the horse's perspective and and creating a willing partner. I'll, I'll leave you with this one, I guess, in, in some ways. I say in, I say in my clinics that uh, successful wives are the best horse trainers. And the reason why I believe that is because they've been successfully training their husbands without them realising it. <laughs> and that is the art to horsemanship is you don't want your horse to think that you're training him. He's actually training you. 
He's training you to release the contact of the ray. He's training you to release the contact to your leg and, you know, whatever you, ever pressure you are applying, that I want him to think that he's in control of it by him creating the correct response. And that's really what it's about. And then, and then he's willing, isn't he? Because that's yeah, the same exactly. thing about husbands. <laughs> if it's his idea, yes. if it's his idea, it's willing. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, how can people contact you? What's the best way? For us, you know, probably the, the one that's the most uh, effective or efficient would be Facebook. So Double Dan Horsemanship on Facebook, and that's got both myself and obviously the other Dan, or through our website, which is um, we've actually got a new website coming out, which is uh, just www.doubledan.com.au. So we took away the horsemanship, so it's a little, little easy to type. Yes. Um, and that's a, a, another good way to another good way to get a hold of us. But mm-hmm. uh, like I said, we're probably most interactive on our Facebook page, where that has you know obviously all the events that we go to, updates, but also messengers, so people can message us on there and and, uh, and and hear back from one of us. Brilliant. And those details will be on our Horse Chats page, Dan's page, which will be horsechats.com slash Dan Steers. But I think if you go to horsechats.com and just search for Dan, you'll find him. Dan, thanks very much for talking to us. Really good. We'd love to have you back again, maybe after the World Equestrian Games, maybe even after Equitan Equidays. But, you know, we'd certainly love to have you back just to go in and drill into a little bit more detail about some of the areas you've talked about. And I'll see if we can embed that YouTube video on your page as well, which will be horsechats.com slash Dan Steers. Beautiful. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No worries, Dan. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.